This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, which, as Vic said, is the uh, Advent of Peace. And I have been listening to the Old Testament, and the resounding theme for the Israelites was a severe lack of peace. It is nonstop. Every time things started to even out, like during Solomon's reign, was the closest thing they had to the kingdom of heaven. It was there was riches and peace in the land and abundance, and it all came crashing down. And it's because of the lack of the everlasting peace that Christ only could provide for us. And it was just very, it's been very impactful that um, the war in our hearts cannot be subdued without Jesus. So um, this Sunday is a, we think of peace as um, kind of just a generalizing word, but the truth is when it comes to um, our world, it is, our world is the opposite of peace. So we, we're very thankful for Jesus and the peace that he is um, in our lives. The first verse that I have today is from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For, un, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it upon, and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Good morning, Antioch. Merry Christmas. We have two areas that we're going to be reading from this morning. The first is Isaiah 7, verse 14, and then we'll flip over to the first chapter of Matthew. So if you'll stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, starting with Isaiah 7, verse 14, and it reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, I had my good morning. Thank you for coming this morning to Antioch and those who are with us online. We welcome you. Thank you, David and Elisa and Emma and Charlie and Nell. You did a great job. And, and Kelly as well. Thank you for that. And worship team. So two little boys were watching their mom prepare breakfast and she was making their favorite pancakes. And they started arguing about who would get the first pancake, as boys tend to do, right? And girls as well. And the mom thought, this was a great lesson here. She said, you know, if Jesus were here, you know what Jesus would do? He would say, you can have the first pancake. I'll wait. And the older brother said, yeah. So he turned to his younger brother and said, you be Jesus. <laughs> well, last week we looked at God's perfect plan. Remember that for the incarnation and three passages from the book of Genesis where we heard that God's plan for our salvation didn't start in the, in the garden it didn't start in the Old Testament. It started in heaven in the millennia before there was ever anything created, pointing to the Messiah. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always known the perfect plan. In fact, the Father initiated that plan. The Son accomplished that plan on the cross, and the Spirit applied it on the day of Pentecost and has been doing so ever since. Let's look at three more Old Testament passages today that unfold God's plan further. The first we've just heard about, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And we heard in today's reading that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the manger ever appeared in Bethlehem, 700 years earlier, Isaiah said that the Christ would be born to a virgin. And then, that the, then we, we heard the story of the angel interrupting Joseph's fitful sleep. How many think Joseph was not sleeping well in those days because of what he knew about Mary? And the angel interrupted that with the message that Mary would be the mother of the Savior, the Messiah that we've been looking for, the Jews have been looking for for 700 years. I love what R.C. Sproul wrote in his book, Advent of Glory. If you don't have an Advent book, I recommend that one. He says, I've known lots of people who had no problem believing in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, even his deity. But one thing many of them said they could not believe in, they just couldn't do it, was the virgin birth. Well, you know, we have to admit that the first thought Joseph had when he realized that Mary was pregnant was not, this must be an immaculate conception. Didn't occur to him. Doesn't occur to anybody, Right? I mean, he knew he had not been with Mary, and so the only assumption was that somebody else had been with Mary, and that's why he had decided in his mind to divorce her quietly. So why was the virgin birth necessary? Why is that a big deal? Why should that be part of our first-tier doctrines? Not second or tertiary, first-tier, that Jesus had to have been born of a virgin. Well, very simply, as simply as we can make it, Paul wrote, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that man? What was his name? And to death through sin, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Listen, we sin because we are sinners, and we are sinners because of the seed of Adam, the first man, the one who is our federal head. 
the one from whom every human being on the earth came, from Adam. Every person who has ever been born of woman, remember Adam and Eve were not born of woman, they were created perfect. But every person who's ever been born of woman except one is born a sinner. That's why David said in Psalm 51, you know, in my mo- I was conceived in sin from my mother's womb. We're sinners from the womb because of Adam. And so the plan was, if Jesus was going to be fully human, God could have done it a different way. He could have had us saved some other way, but that was not the way decided on in, in eternity. If, if Jesus was going to be fully human and enter the world as a baby born to a woman, he had to be exempted somehow from the guilt of Adam's sin. He had to be one of us, Emmanuel. He had to be God with us. And so he had to become the new Adam and the new head of the human race. He could not, therefore, have a human father because that father would have passed on the sin nature that came to him and to all of us through Adam. So the virgin birth is necessary. The miracle of the virgin birth, the immaculate conception in which Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit was essential for our atonement. It is vital for our salvation. God let us know that miracle through Isaiah. He also let us know that the Messiah would, be, would birth a kingdom of grace that never ends. Turn to Isaiah 9. We heard a little bit of that read by David a few minutes ago. Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to look at this passage with me. Again, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 9. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, if you look back at chapter 8, it ends with gloom of anguish and thick darkness. You see that? Gloom of anguish and thick darkness. And then God speaks to his people about the light that was coming. And light always wins over darkness. Light triumphs over darkness. And joy triumphs over the gloom of anguish. And this is a great light. This is the light of the world who will be born to a baby or or born as a baby. So why does Isaiah say, for to us a child is born? And then he says, to us a son is given. Again, this is important. This is not just poetic, you know, repetition for emphasis. No, 
there's a different word here used on purpose. Jesus was born because his humanity had a starting point. Jesus became human when he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. That's when Jesus took on a human nature. He was born because humanity had to start with that. But Jesus was given because the second person of the Trinity had no starting point. Amen? Jesus was given because he exists forever as the eternal Son of God, equal with God the Father, equal with God the Spirit. So the child who was born, and then we're, we're told the child was born and the son who was given, and Gene sang about it last week, and Mary, did you know, this, this child would one day rule the nations. And I love what Isaiah says, he will, he will have the government upon his shoulder. That's true now, but it won't be fully realized until Jesus comes back and his kingdom is perfect and glory begins in a way that we can't even imagine it. The glorious fulfillment of the promise that the government will be upon his shoulder will be realized when he comes back. But then the son is given names, right? Names often reveal character. I heard about a little baby that was just recently born to a good friend of mine, and they named her Safari Rose <laughs> because her father has been a missionary in Africa, and, and her, her grandfather lived in Africa and has been on many safaris. I like that, Safari Rose. Well, what are the names that Jesus, Jesus is given here? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These, remind us, these names remind us of all that Christ is and all that Christ does is for our good and for God's glory. He is the Word who was with God and who is God from the beginning. John's prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and He became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. And because He is the Word, and because His counsel is from the beginning, it is wonderful. The counsel of Jesus is pure and truth and life-giving. Why are we looking anywhere else for counsel? I'm not saying you don't go to counselors, but why go to counsel of the world? Why go to people who don't know the truth of the Bible and will not tell you the truth of the Bible? He is the wonderful counselor because he's pure, true, life-changing. You know, the evil counselor enticed the man and woman into the first sin. And I like what Spurgeon wrote. He said, ah, beloved, it was fitting that the world should have the counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to destroy it. We have the wonderful counselor with us always. He is mighty God. That's a title used about God throughout the Old Testament. You can look up mighty God in your Strong's Concordance and you'll find multiple references to mighty God and almighty God. But it's true of Jesus as well. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He commanded the wind and the waves with a word to be silent, to stop, to cease. And it obeyed him. And the mightiest of all, the mightiest act of the mighty God who was in the person of Jesus, who is Jesus, was that he destroyed sin and death and the grave when he rose again and when he gave his blood and his body as a sacrifice. He's everlasting father. 
You know, we think of God as a father, but Jesus here is given the name everlasting father. Well, Jesus is a loving protector. He is the king of kings who loves his people and will rule us and will be with us and will love us forever and ever. And he is the prince of peace. I like what David said about that. You know, uh, the Old Testament is, is a battle, right? With peace, in peace and out of peace. And have peace, have no peace. And look, without Jesus, we have no peace. And he is the prince of peace. And Jesus' death on the cross brought peace. The peace that we most need is what? Is between us and God. We might not ever be at peace with some of our family members or people that hate us. And we've done everything in our powers. Romans, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, and as, as much as it depends on you, live in peace with all men. Well, if it depends on you and you're doing all you can, but that person says, no, here's, here's my, my thing. I'm not going to live in peace with you no matter how much you ask and how much you beg and how much you cry. Well, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ and Jesus and God will never withhold that peace from us. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. And we have peace in God because of Jesus. And then I like what Isaiah says. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The increase of will not end, and the peace will not end, is the way I read that. So I think Handel got it right when he wrote Hallelujah Chorus, right? It's, his, his, it says, and he shall reign forever and ever. But listen, his reign will not just go on forever. According to this prophecy, it will forever increase. Forever increase. I don't understand that. And I don't think we will understand how his government will increase until we're there. And we see it with our own eyes face to face. But here's how it's going to happen. Isaiah told us the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's God's pleasure. It's his zealousness to do this. That the increase of the government of the king of kings and lord of lords will never stop increasing. I like that picture. So Jesus was born of a virgin. He entered the world without sin. He is and will be exalted as king of kings. His kingdom will never end and never stop increasing. Let's look at one more final prophecy about Jesus' birth. And this is from the book of Micah. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. If you want to turn to Micah 5, 2, you can, or I'll just read it here. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says this. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little... To be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, this is God speaking, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is not someone just came on the scene, Johnny come lately. This is from of old. I love what John Piper wrote about this, this verse and this, this thought. He said, have you ever thought what an amazing thing it is that God ordained beforehand that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem as Micah's prophecy foretold and that he so ordained, God so ordered it, that when the time came, the Messiah's mother and legal father were not in Bethlehem. They were in Nazareth, right? They were living in Nazareth. And so in order to fulfill his word, 
his prophecy, the word of God, that these, he had to bring these two unheard of, insignificant little people, this is Piper, to Bethlehem that first Christmas. God put it in the heart of Caesar Augustus that all the Roman world should be enrolled in his own town. A decree for the entire world in order to move two people 70 miles. You know, Joseph must have understood something extraordinary was going on. I mean, an angel told him that Mary's baby, which was not his, would save his people, the people, from their sins. But did Joseph understand when the angel said this? I never thought about this until this week. All the Christmases, I've been preaching about it. But I've never thought about this. Did, did when, when Joseph understood that the Messiah was going to be born... From this woman he was betrothed to, did he understand that they had to go to Bethlehem? There's no indication of that. There's no text where Joseph says, all right, Mary, let's, let's get packed up. Okay, we got to go. Bethlehem's a little ways away. We got to get rolling. I know you're, you know, eight and a half months pregnant, so that's why we got to get on the road, woman. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. We're going to Bethlehem. He didn't do that. He had to hear from Caesar. You know, God had Caesar tell Joseph and Mary, you got to go. You got to go to Bethlehem. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That's a great verse to remember, saints. When we're pleading for God, something that only the government can change, only the president can do, the Supreme Court can do, the president of Ukraine or Russia or whatever, God holds their hearts in his hand. Hello? And so that's how we pray. Lord, we can't make this happen, but you can. Would you turn the heart of a president? Or maybe it's just your own husband or your own wife or one of your sons or daughters. Some may ask, why do they need to have the baby in Bethlehem? Luke explains it in his gospel. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now we saw this last week. Remember that the Messiah would be the offspring of the woman. We learned that in Genesis 3, right after the fall. And it would come from the people of Israel. God told that to Abraham. From you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And from the tribe of Judah, when Jacob prophesied over Judah on his deathbed, he said the scepter will not depart from Judah. And so we learned that from Genesis. And the center of the tribe of Judah was Bethlehem. And the greatest king of Israel, David, was born in Bethlehem. And Jesus, the son of David, as he's often referred to, would have to be born in Bethlehem as well. Again, Jesus had to have been born of a virgin because it was foretold, but because that's the only way he would have been sinless. And he had to have been born in Bethlehem because the prophecies of the Old Testament said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Joseph may not have understood this. Again, there's no indication that he did or didn't. We can't argue from silence. But you know who didn't know where Jesus was born? And they were looking for him? 
The wise men. When the wise men came from the east, where did they go? Did they go straight to Bethlehem? You remember? Where did they go? They went to the center of power of Israel because that's where kings certainly would be born. Right? They went to Jerusalem. They came from the east and they said to, to the people, they're walking around the streets of Jerusalem going, hey, do you might know where the king of the Jews is going to be born? You know, hey, you, you, hey, Mr. Moore, do you know where the king of the Jews is born? These three, we know how many wise men there were? Hello? No, there weren't. We don't know. The king of the Jews, where's the king of the Jews? You know who heard this? Who, who heard this being uttered about in the streets? You know who heard it? The king of the Jews, Herod. He was the king of the Jews. And people are asking, where's the king of the Jews going to be born? What are you talking about? Can you imagine somebody walking through Washington, D.C. tomorrow going, hey, does anybody know where the president of the United States is, is about to be born? You, you know where? The, I mean, they would lock him up, right? You know? Well, when Herod heard where, what the wise men were asking, he called. Remember this? He called for the chief priests and the scribes. Because Herod thought, if anybody knows where this king he's talking about is going to be born, it's going to be these guys, because they're Jewish. And in fact, they're Jewish scholars. They, he asked them, they called him, they, they came in, and they said, oh, in Bethlehem of Judea. And then they quoted Micah's prophecy to the king. This is all in Matthew. I don't want to get too far off the point here, but isn't it mind-boggling? Is it mind-boggling to anybody besides me that the chief priests and the scribes and now Herod knew that there were wise men who had come hundreds of miles from the east and they were in Jerusalem and they were looking for a baby to be born who would be the king of the Jews. And the chief priests and the scribes tell Herod, oh, if that's happening, it's going to be in Bethlehem. And not one of them went to Bethlehem. Not a chief priest, not a scribe, not Herod nobody, none of them went looking to see if what these wise guys were talking about was really going to happen. Look, we talk every year about the people who showed up at the, at the manger, right? The shocking truth that God chose poor shepherds to be the first eyewitnesses to the birth, the greatest birth in history. God chose shepherds nobodies. He chose two nobodies to, to be the mother and legal father of, and he chose shepherds to see this glorious birth after it happened for the first time. The angel of the Lord knew. Who knew where Jesus was? The angel of the Lord. That's who knew. Because the angel of the Lord showed up on a hill, above a hillside there, and, and maybe standing on the hillside. You always see the angels, you know, kind of hovering in the air. We don't know where the angel was but the angel showed up in front of some shepherds and scared them to death we know it scared, he scared them to death because the first word out of out of their mouth was fear 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 not and you know I got, I got none. seriously guys don't be don't be don't hide behind the sheep for to you on this day in the city of david a savior is born 
Good news, good news, great news for all people. For the Savior, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, had to be born in the city of David who was the shepherd of Israel. Let me close with this. Listen, beloved, God used prophets of old to tell the people of old the good news that they would never see come to pass. Adam and Eve certainly didn't see it. Abraham and Jacob never saw it. Isaiah never saw it. Micah never saw it. They could only imagine it. They could only dream about it. They could look forward to the time where they would one day maybe be with God, and they knew they would be with God, and they would finally understand what all this talk was about of a Redeemer, a Messiah, a Savior who would come and save people for the sake of God's glory. What a gift we've been given. What a Christmas gift we have been given. God's perfect plan. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning that we have been blessed to be on this side of the cross and be able to look back all the way to the Garden of Eden and then before that, in time immemorial, before you created time, before you created anything, that the plan for our salvation was in place. God, I pray that no one in this room this year will miss that about Christmas. They will miss that Christmas. They won't miss that Christmas is about Christ. It's about Christ becoming human, taking on human nature so that the divine nature and the human nature in the person of Jesus Christ could go to the cross and take on our sin so that we could be saved. And Lord, I pray for for all of us that the peace that we heard about this morning, that we would have that peace and walk in that peace in the busy time. I know it's stressful right now with all the things that have to be done to get ready for Christmas. Lord, help us not to do that outside of your peace, but to walk in the peace that you give us because of Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch Community Church meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information, please go to antiochchurchnc.org.